0: Welcome to One Move at a Time, the U.S. chess podcast that explores people and organizations who are advancing our educational mission to empower people, enrich lives, and enhance communities through chess. Our goal is to give you ideas and methods you can use in your own community to help you build chess in your area, one move at a time. Make sure to listen to our family of U.S. Chess podcasts, which include cover stories with Chess Life on the first Tuesday of each month, in which I go more in-depth with each month's cover story, Ladies' Night, which drops on the third Tuesday of each month, and that is hosted by our Women's Program Director Jennifer Shahadi, and on the fourth Tuesday of each month, Chess Underground, hosted by our Assistant Director of National Events, Pete Kariannis, in which he examines the games, eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. All can be found at the podcast link on Chess Life Online at uschess.org or by subscribing via iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Now let's welcome our guest to this month's podcast. Our guest today on One Move at a Time is Alan Priest, Alan Priest has been the U.S. Chess president since 2018 and is the 29th president in our 80 year history. He was first elected to the executive board in 2011. He lives in the Commonwealth of Kentucky, where he is a CPA, a field he has worked in since 1982, and which has allowed him to bring his experience in nonprofit audit, tax compliance, and benefit plans to U.S. Chess. He first became a U.S. Just delegate from Kentucky in 2007 and has served on various committees, including finance, audit, bylaws, form, and life management assets. Welcome to One Move at a Time, Alan Priest.
1: Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it.
0: So I, the first question I have for you is maybe an emotional one for you, because as you've talked about this at governance meetings uh, you've been emotional about it, and it's it's about how you first got involved in chess. Many of our listeners are going to be unfamiliar with that story, and so if you don't mind, could you please share that?
1: No, I'd, I'd, I'd love to share it with you. Um, it's It's been an interesting journey. I was not exposed to chess as a child, and I grew up in rural southern Illinois, and although I'm at the age well, I was a youth during the Fisher years, Um, I really wasn't exposed to chess at all. It didn't become until uh, I became an adult. And then I got exposed to it uh, through my child. Uh, My son was about a third grader or so. And he found, uh, we bought a new computer that had a chess program on it. And so he started playing chess on that computer. Then he wanted to learn more about it. And I went out and I found a Maurice Ashley, and I had no idea who Maurice Ashley was at the time. I found a Maurice Ashley training uh, video that I brought home at DVD and put it in the computer. And so he started doing that. Then then he went to school and uh, there was a gentleman came down from middle school to recruit kids in the elementary school to be part of the chess club. And he came home and said he wanted to do that. that gentleman became a dear friend of mine, a national tournament director who, unfortunately, is no longer with us. A gentleman by the name of Steve Dillard, fairly renowned tournament director here and NTD here in Kentucky. Um, Steve was a middle school math teacher at my kid's school, and uh, so he recruited. And my son wanted to do that. Now, the thing about my son, some listeners may know him because he's active in chess circles today um, is that he has a very mild form of cerebral palsy. And uh, you wouldn't know it unless you need to look for it, but it meant that uh, he wasn't going to be a participant in team sports much. Um, he just didn't have the athletic ability to do it physically. Um, and, and so he wanted to do chess. And uh, I went to, he started going to the club. Uh, at school and then they were going to have a tournament and I went to a tournament with him and I knew nothing about chess tournaments didn't realize I was going to be there all day and I found that uh, being a parent at a chess tournament was the most boring thing I'd ever done in my life so I started volunteering to help and uh, I helped out taking scores and cleaning up tables and all that sort of thing and then I noticed Mr. Dillard using the computer to figure stuff out. I thought, well, that'd be kind of interesting. I asked him to show it to me. And he did. And so I started helping him input results and things like that. And I asked him how I might help him um, help him more. And he said, become a tournament director. And I said, okay, what's that? How do you do that? So uh, now I had to play the game. And uh, I play it very badly. But uh, I went out and I played enough to get an established rating. And since then I played in a few events, But um, then I became a tournament director. Well, I was helping Steve. Then the Kentucky Chess Association needed a new scholastic chess coordinator for the state. And I thought, well, I can do as good a job as the guy who's doing it now, at least. And I wanted to make sure that my son had quality tournaments to play in at the state level. So uh, for six years, I did that. In the meantime, he had started going to some national events, which became a thing that he and I did together. And we went to a variety of different ones, National Youth Action, um, a supranational, grade levels, all sorts of different ones that we drove to largely. And um, at one of those events, there were short TV staff. I was actually... Before that, I I was at a grade level in Houston, and uh, I volunteered to help record results and keep that. Um, Wayne Clark from Chicago was the section chief, and I told him, I said, hey, you know, I'm a CPA, and I'm actually senior tournament director at that point, so he said, great, you know, make sure this is right, so we did, and met some other people like Carol Jarecki a year or so past, and we were at another tournament. In Milwaukee, and they were short TD staffs, and people couldn't show up at the last minute. I said, "I'll volunteer to help," and I did, and that seemed to go okay. Get it for free; I was already there, and then um, I started getting asked to participate when I was there, and they were short staffed. And then they started hiring me to do some of these national events. After a while of that, I um, I got asked to participate as a delegate. Uh, by Mr. Dillard, because I was going to be at this tournament because my son wanted to play. Um, you know, and I have found getting involved in chess is pretty easy if you say yes a lot. So, <laughs> you know, I, I ended up serving on some various committees. I got asked to run for the executive board. Um, and all of this was really kind of an accident. And it all started because I wanted my son to have an opportunity to do something that that would give him a chance to be successful in a way that being an athlete, which is what I was as a kid, uh, just wasn't available to him. So it it, it it's been a really an interesting journey and one that I never would have predicted two decades ago. Um, and now one of the fun things is is that my my son, who by the time he was in high school, he was still playing, but he wasn't interested in, in working real hard on his game uh he started directing with me and we've had the opportunity to direct together at a recent uh, national elementary he was a section chief and i got to be his parent chief which is really kind of cool my my son's now a national tournament director as well just like i am and so it's been an interesting uh an interesting path to this and i i feel very strongly about participating at the national level because uh you know chess has been so good to my son and uh, it's given him some opportunities i'm not sure he would have had anywhere else so my participation really is a way to say thank you to that it's a way to say thank you to steve Dillard, um like i said he who's no longer with us but but gave my son some opportunities and gave me some opportunities and poured a lot of energy into me that uh, that i've really appreciated over the years so it's been uh, it's been a really interesting journey. I never could have told you years ago that I'd be representing the country at a, a world championship chess final uh, like I got to do in London last year. You know, it's, it's been a really – that never would have been on my radar screen 10, or 15, 20 years ago at all.
0: So does your son uh – what were some of the opportunities that chess offered him that you say he would not otherwise have experienced?
1: It, it gave him a chance to be successful at competition. Um, you know, it, it, it was hard to find. And I, I grew up as a jock, right? So I'm playing basketball, football, and, and I know that, um, you know, he was, he loved to play soccer, but, but that just, he didn't really have the physical aptitude to be able to do it. And, and, and any other, Sports like that, so he actually, you know, got really excited about playing on the school team. And we have a a school league here in Louisville area that the the school participated in. So he became part of this team and going to tournaments and playing as part of a team. And he went to a national youth action with some and and connected up with some guys who live south of us, and they got they got a club going that I'd take him to. And, uh, and then they played in National Youth Action as a team, and they won a team trophy. And You know, it, it just became his I, I don't even know what the right word is. His tribe, you know? It became his group. And and it it, it, it just allowed him, I think, to flourish in some ways that, that I don't know um, we could have found elsewhere. And it's not a chess thing, but the other place he did that was scouts. And uh, I did that with him, too. So he's yeah, My, my national turn of director sense, a, a civilian engineer for the Navy lives up in Ohio, and he's grown up married, and I'm still here doing chess and doing scouts uh, because I've found a place there where I think it, I can make a difference and where I think it matters.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that very personal story. I, I, I think that's going to resonate with a, with a lot of people, and I, I'm sure there's some people who... Uh, We'll be surprised to hear how short the distance is from starting out to quickly getting involved in governance in this organization.
1: Like I said, I think it's fairly easy if you say yes a lot. People usually don't turn you down.
0: Um, so let, let's move from the personal to to the national level. You you've been instrumental in some very significant changes in um, in, in this organization. But uh, since this show focuses on our mission statement, uh, the, the one I want to talk about first is about how you helped guide us as we changed from a C four to a C three organization. Um, probably a lot of people are are, are not ex- familiar with what the distinction is. Could you please tell people what the difference is and what that fundamental change meant to us as an organization?
1: Sure. Um, I've had people demonstrate that they're confused about that in some conversations, you know, like, why did we go become a nonprofit? Well, USJS has been co- has been a nonprofit since it's started. Uh, it started. And in nonprofit world there are more than 20 categories there's you know nuclear commissioning trust funds decommissioning trust funds there are civic organizations there are business clubs like your like your uh, chamber of commerce for example and those are all designated under IRS code section 501 subsection c and then underneath that there's lists of all these other categories. US CHESS for years was listed as a 501C4, which is a social welfare organization. And, um, you know, your local swimming club may be a social welfare organization. Your local country club may fit under that area. Uh, 501C3 is a little bit different designation. Um, it is for educational and charitable organizations, and national sports organizations. So we fit in that category a couple of different ways. What triggered the change was back in the mid 2000 aughts, um, the executive board at the time crafted uh, some proposed changes in the mission statement of US chess. The mission statement is contained in the Articles of Incorporation, and it defines what the organization is about. The delegates looked at that, worked on it some more, and passed it. It really didn't change the mission much. It just clarified it because we are, in fact, and always have been, the national governing authority for CHESS in, in the United States. Um, that's, that's very, very clear. We recognized it by FITA and have been for years. Um, we've been involved with uh, educational activities for, for years. And educational activities are a little bit more than having classes at kids' schools. You know, education activities are, are far broader than that. They're working with kids. They're working with adults. Um, they're working with the elderly. All of those are educational aspects. Um, some of it is just educating the general public. Uh, I spent some time here in Louisville as the uh, chairman of our local better business bureau. And we had an educational foundation and we weren't holding classes or anybody. We were printing a whole lot of educational material about consumer scams and such. So the educational mission is a whole lot broader than, you know, teaching kids in a school classroom. So the delegates had just defined that a little bit more clearly And it got filed in New Articles of Incorporation and quite frankly, um, whatever was going on in the office at the time and it was a time there was some governance struggles and things like that. It just kind of sat there for a while. Um, When I got elected to the executive board uh, for the first time, um, the executive director at the time, who was Mr. Bill Hall, uh, had started the process to request a change in the tax status from the IRS. So um, since this is what I do for a living, um, he asked if I could take that process over. And I said, sure. It took us about a year and a half. Um, there was a lot of backlog at the time in the nonprofit organizations division. And it took about three or four different submissions. Uh, not that they turned anything down. They just wanted more information. You know, what, what was the reason that we felt we were now 501c3 instead of 501c4? And um, after... Some time of review, they approved that the IRS approved that change, and they approved it retroactive to 2009 when the uh, revised articles of incorporation had been filed. So basically, the IRS has just recognized that we have this um, more focused mission than just um, than just serving this small group of of chess players. Which, again, is not a new mission to us. We've had this mission and been doing it for years. So I think the change was was appropriate. And what does that do for us practically? It didn't change the tax return that we file. We file exactly the same tax return. Um, from an outward focus, probably the biggest change is that when people donate money to us, um, a we could accept donations as a 501c4, but as a 501c3, they can get a tax deduction for that donation. That's probably the biggest change. It gives us the ability to raise funds from the public and they get a tax deduction for it. But again, the, the overall mission didn't, didn't change. Now, underneath that mission, certainly we've tried to sharpen our focus because we, we owe that. you know As part of this tax designation, um, we're supposed to be about what we say our mission is and so we have looked at how we can do programming um, how can we we create new opportunities for people to learn about chess and play chess some of those are people who are current members and some of those are people who may not have been exposed to chess and we'd love for them to be so that they can become some of our members and help us in this effort so it's a it's a change, but from my perspective, it's really not that big of a change. Um, for us all to learn that we're thinking about life in that way and the organization in that way, for some people, it's proven to be a little bit difficult because we have some members who focus their chess activities pretty narrowly, and that's fine. I mean, that's okay. We're going to serve those people, too. But we also have members who think that what we're doing is important enough that uh, they'd like to see us doing more to reach out to society and... And use chess to try to make it better. And we're we're certainly in a.
0: It feels like we're in a period of very rapid evolutionary change. Uh, you know, things are happening fast and furious. We're doing new things, reaching out to new areas, hiring uh, for new positions like women's program director and development director. And this is all tied to the C three change, I believe.
1: Yeah, I think so. We, like I said, we're the mission has changed, but our focus on it has changed a bit, and. What we ended up doing a few years ago is as we changed leadership um, at the top of the organization with the executive director, we reached out to find um, it, a replacement with some folks who who had experience in nonprofit organizations. And we started that with uh Miss Jean Hoffman when we hired her to be executive director. And Jean had been running a small Chess-related nonprofit out in Arizona, and brought that experience with her, as well as experience in the chess world. And uh, after several years, Jean came to the board and said, "Look, I've taken this. I think as far as I've got the skills to take it. And if we're going to fully develop uh, this this national mission that uses chess to change things, um, we got we need somebody who's got." more experience in that area than i do is basically her message to us and i respect that a great deal um you know it's hard for you to have somebody who comes in and says i've taken this as far as i can go and that's really what Jean did And, and i think she did a bang up job while she was the executive director and i think she really um subsumed her ego to the good of the organization when she came and told us that so we started a a search, and we really focused on people with in-depth 501c3 experience. We took a little bit of heat from it because the person we ended up hiring, Ms. Um, Carol Meyer, who's our current executive director, had little to no experience with chess, but had a, an extensive resume with knowledge about 501c3 organizations. And I think uh, getting Carol in place has really helped us to, to move down that road with a little bit more pace. I mean, as soon as we became a 501c3, we had members who were talking to us about we need to do more fundraising and we need to have more programming. And they were right. But we also need to do it in the right way and do it with a plan and do it from from, uh, an understanding of who and what we were, are, and what we're trying to be. So uh, we've taken our time and, and worked really hard on thinking about um, what our mission should be, and, and, and what values those are grounded on, and what do we think when we look out in the future? What's the goal? What do we want to see happen? And, and so we had to craft that, and do things like craft a case for support and go out and raise money that says why this makes a difference. And I think all of us at Left chess and all of it have, of us who've seen it make a difference. I mean, it's made a difference in my child's life. It made a difference in our family's life. For those of us who've seen that happen, you know we just want to share that with other people and give them an opportunity to experience uh, the benefits that we have. So, so as we've crafted that, we have come up with with some some more opportunities. We found some people who partner with us. Um, you mentioned the women's program, and boy, that sure has been a a, a really good start. Uh, our friends in St. Louis. The fails have helped fund that, and um, that allows us to go out to our affiliates and, and and help them fund things they would like to do. We're serving basically as the administrators of that grant to kick it down to the local level and let them try some stuff. But, you know, if it works, we'll share that with other folks in the country. If it doesn't work, that's okay. You know, we've got to try things to to figure out what we can do. And that's another thing we're exploring in other areas as well. The women's issue just became to the forefront because we had a, vendor, a sponsor who was interested in funding. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, let's extend this out a little bit further. Why, why don't you break out your crystal ball and tell us how you see the organization evolving over, let's say, the next decade?
1: Well, wow, that's an interesting an, an interesting question. Um The vision that the executive board has spent a lot of time on, uh, you know, you think vision and strategic planning is a pretty simple process. If you do it right, it's not simple at all Uh, because everybody has some different thoughts and some different ideas. And you go out and you solicit information from a lot of interested parties who who all have different thoughts about it. The vision that we've articulated says that... uh, We're looking for a future when chess is recognized as an essential tool that is inclusive, that benefits education and rehabilitation, and promotes recreation and friendly competition. In short, the way I like to say that is we're looking to a future in which chess matters more than it does today. You know, that chess becomes a little more integrated in the culture and in um, aspects of the culture where it's there now. But maybe not in the way that it can be. So, um, and, and through that, what we're hoping to see is that we can use chess to change things, to, to empower people, to enrich their lives, and to really make the communities in which they're in better. You know, my father has dementia and he's in a nursing home. Um, we've tried to in- introduce some chess there. Now, my father's dementia is too profound that he really can't participate in it. But, you know, and none of these people are going to be world champions. But if it staves off the, if participating in this and participating in the social aspect of it, and even just learning very basic stuff about the game, if that can take an elderly person and stave off mental decline, aren't we all better for it? And I think that we are. We take a Title one kid. Um, you know, kids stay more involved in education if they're involved in extracurricular activities. That's an argument for having basketball and baseball and football teams. It's the same argument I have in a chess program. You know, do we keep kids who, who aren't likely ever going to be the world champion of chess, but if we can keep them engaged in school in a, in a more profound way, um, we give them opportunities they wouldn't have otherwise. Um, same thing with, with, uh, you know as middle-aged guys like me you know to have a community around which we can coalesce and things that give us purpose so but you know, it, it, it starts getting real high high sounding uh, pretty quickly but those are really the those are really the goals that we've got you know it's audacious enough to say we want to change the world through chess but you know what organization isn't you know really if you have an organization where, where you think something matters enough, you know, why wouldn't you be hoping that it makes a big difference to people? That's why I do scouts, because I think it makes a difference for kids. It's the same reason I do chess, because I think it makes a difference for
0: kids and for adults. Yeah, I actually forgot to mention in your bio that you, you've you been a long time scout leader. Have you been involved in governance in, in the Boy Scouts of America?
1: It doesn't work the same way. And, and, and what I do there is mainly work with uh, a troop of Boy Scouts directly. Although I've, I've had the opportunity to run um, our council's primary youth leadership training program through a cycle that was really neat. Um, I get an opportunity to help educate adults about what scouting means. They will let me come in and do the chess <laughs> badge from time to time. We've done that on the council level. Yeah. You really don't have to be a very good chess player to do it. Um, and I also know how to recruit people who are much better chess players than I to help me with that. But uh, that's, been a, that's been a fun program. Coincidentally, that Chess Merit Badge was also so getting that in place would have been a goal for U.S. Chess for years. And uh, it became a reality because Jeannie Sinkfield has been a chess volunteer for years and uh, also sits on the National Board for Scouting. And uh, she asked them what it would take to make chess be a merit badge. They told her an amount. She said, That's okay, I can do that. And then U.S. Chess got to present the material for that to work up the merit badge. Book. So it's a uh, when Jeannie and I get together, we, t- we really don't talk chess, we talk scouting. Um, and we talk about how chess makes a difference in scouting. So it's it's there's a lot of synergy between those two activities.
0: And I believe that the merit badge has very quickly become one of the most popular. And I think last couple of years it's been one of the top ten um, achieved
1: badges in scouts. Yes, it's been one. Of, it's been one of the top ten ever since it came out. I mean, maybe not the first year, but ever since. And and it's offered in a lot of places. Uh, Ms. Sinkfield in St. Louis actually did the first uh, session of the of the Merit Badge when it first came out, and then when uh, Scouting USA expanded its reach to address uh, girls in a, in a little bit different way, she held the first Merit Badge session for uh, that was all girls in Scouting USA, so she, she did that one, and, and over there they awarded the first Merit Badges to the first girls' troop in Missouri, so that was kind of cool.
0: And despite our success with our scholastic programs in in U.S. Chess over the decades, this success with the merit badge suggests that there's still a pent-up need out there or desire for people to get into the
1: chess world. Yeah, and some of those kids who get exposed to chess in that way might end up joining U.S. Chess and might end up being tournament players and all that. A lot of them won't. But if they have fond memories of the game from that, or if they get exposed to it, and then they learn to play on online platforms, and then they get their kids involved because they found that it was kind of a fun thing to do. Or they sit down and play with a parent, you know, and they get other people involved. That's all about this community building thing. I've got, this weekend, uh, we're getting ready to go out on a camp out. And I asked the kids, we're going to actually be staying in a building because it's December and it's a little bit chilly here in Kentucky. And uh, I said, what do you want us to bring for, for activities for the evening? And they said, can you bring chess equipment? So, uh, you know, I'm packing up chess boards and sets to take out for my scouts when they're sitting around after dinner uh, before they go to bed. They want to play chess. And that's just kind of neat. You know, It's it's a it's a... It's a competitive thing within, within this small group of guys, and, but it's also a community building thing. So, and, and that's where the extension comes in. You know, that's just one small place where it can happen. There's nursing Home is another. A program where we put kids together here in the school chess club and they're going into an adult care facility, it's just a living facility, and they're sharing with these, these elderly people over chess. You know, those programs are happening in this country. Um, and we have opportunities to use our national platform to expand those opportunities and involve more people. And, you know, does the community benefit from that? We sure do. Do we make a difference in people's lives that way? We sure do. Over, over a game that we, we all love because we're involved with it, um, some of us are much better at it than others, but it doesn't mean we don't love the game. And, uh, and it's really neat how we can use that to, to make a difference in people's lives. I'm not, you know, I'm not a good enough player. Um, I, I can see the, the beauty in, in, in a game that's well played, but I'm, I'm just not a good enough player to ever aspire to that, but boy, I can sure use the game to make a difference for people. And that's why, that's one reason why I keep showing up to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: so I'm going to use, uh, some of these comments over the last few minutes to, to pivot to something we've just introduced uh, on our mission vision statement uh, page on uschess.org, uh, the board just had a, uh, a board meeting, and one of the things they did was they you guys rewrote our US Chess core values. And since these are so brand new, and to any listeners who want to, to see them, if you go to uschess.org and click on the About tab, and you'll see Mission Vision, and you click there. Our mission, vision, goals, and values are all listed there. But since these values are new, uh, Alan, let, let me read each one, one by one, and as I re- after I, I read the individual value, why don't you expand a little bit about it, why the board thinks this is important, uh, and any thoughts you have about it.
1: But before you do that, let me throw something in here. The very first part of the strategic planning process is what is the organization about those are the value statements and and so those say what it is that we think we stand for we wrote those uh, when we did our original strategic plan um several years ago we've revisited the vision and the mission and the goals um, we had not really revisited the value statements so after we'd had a chance to work this perk in the community for a while um, in the board meeting that we just had in November, um, I had this on the agenda so we could sit down and, and really look at it and see if those, those value statements said what we wanted them to say. Uh, really, we, we, we redrafted them, but we didn't change the underlying thought. I think we made them uh, a little easier to understand and a little bit clearer.
0: So, yeah, let's go through them. Okay, so the first one is education we promote the transformative power of chess for lifelong personal growth.
1: You know, that's kind of what we've been talking about. And it, it, through through the whole theme of this discussion so far, um, can chess make a difference for people? We think it can. And it's not just grade school kids. It's adults and it's senior adults. And it's people who, for whom the study of the game or just participating in the game Causes them to grow in different ways. Sometimes that growth may be in their chess excellence, certainly can be that. You know, we all promote chess with school kids as ways to pr- promote critical thinking, and, and you can use chess in school curriculums to teach every subject you got. You teach history with chess and English with chess. But it's also about, you know, helping with the, the cognitive maintenance of the cognitive abilities of adults. I, I don't play that much over the board, but I do a lot of chess puzzles. And you know, sitting down with chess puzzles and figuring those out, uh, causes me to look at some things in a different way. You know, it expands the vision because I'm, I'm thinking about how I'm looking at, at, at everything. So um, another thing that's becomes a of really the educational thing is how do you get people who can, you know, win with dignity and lose with class? You know, chess is a very, in a, in a tournament setting, you know, it's a very, it's a combat game and it's very much about me getting into your, your head and, and imposing my will on the game. But at the same time, you know, there's a big social aspect to that. That's one thing we find with our programs with girls is well, they, when we have a girls' room, girls' house room and a national scholastic event, it's full all day long. Of girls who just want to connect with other people. It's the same thing that my son did. You know, this was his team. It was a way to provide personal growth that had nothing to do with chess, but it had everything to do with how he related to other people. So so this is a little broader than what most people
0: think that it is. Yes. The second one is customer service. We endeavor to be responsive, adaptive, and proactive in providing services to our customers.
1: Our customers are really a, a broad base of people. Um, we have members of the organization, some 100,000 strong. We have their parents. We have their schools. We have the institutions that they are connected with. Sometimes that becomes the retirement home. Sometimes that's a prison. Um, But we have those institutions. We have our vendors. So, you know, we, we want to be as good as we can be in working with all of our uh, related parties, all of those who have an interest, interested parties in what we do. Um, being proactive, we don't want to wait for trouble to come up. You know, we're spending a whole lot of money right now to completely rewrite our our database structure in US Chess. That's not a sexy thing that you can throw out in front of members and and, and then really appreciate what you're doing. And we're spending a lot of money to do it. But we have to. The, the system that we have doesn't allow us to do some things as efficiently as we would like. And it causes a problem in the way we can serve our members. I mean, a really good example of this is the TLA system that we have is, has kind of been cobbled together from some different sources. And so the different parts of the TLA system don't talk together very well. The part that you see that goes into the magazine, um, those, those announcements have to be done separately than the announcements that go up to the online piece. And, and when we get ready to do an email blast, there's a whole lot of human intervention that has to happen there too. So our goal in that is to in that redesign of the system is to allow it to be something that's a whole lot more responsive to what our members would like to see, what our organizers and tournament directors would like to have at their fingertips so that we can communicate with people better and let them know what we're doing uh, in, in, in a much more seamless way than what we have now. So uh, that's probably the biggest example of stuff we've got going on right now. But it's more than that. You know, it talks about tournament design issues. It talks about where we have events. It talks about our ability to um, uh, work with local affiliates to try things like we're doing with, the, with this Women and Girls Grant, to give them opportunities to try things and And adapt some practices that we're doing in in a way that we might be able to reach people in a new and different way.
0: And also this podcast that we're talking on right now, at the beginning of 2018, U.S. Chess had zero podcasts. And now at the end of 2019, we have uh, four podcasts, one dropping every week of every month.
1: And we're also doing things like streaming games with commentary out of our national events um you know that seems to be the way that we're going to get coverage as much as we might like to think that chess was going to get a bunch of television coverage i don't think the game is suited for that real well um i don't want to be pessimistic but i haven't seen it work so far but boy i tell you what the podcast world for talking about tournaments or the streaming services talking about services uh i'm sorry talking about tournaments um seems to work and You know, it has an audience and the audience is building. It takes time and energy and money to do it, but it's, you know, it gives us the ability to extend the reach of what we're doing and, and let people know what what these events are about and let people know about what our organization
0: is about doing. And i also like the fact that these were never items that were promised to the memberships. It was just that we were able to see a need and make it happen. That's
1: what proactive means, isn't it? You know, you're looking out there. Yeah. And, and, you know, we have that vision of what does the future state look like and say, okay, what do we have to do today, different today, to get to that point? Because if we don't do something different today, we'll never reach that, change state in the future. So we can't just do what we've done in the past. Even if it's been working really well, we can't just do what we did in the past and expect some way that gets a different result as we go forward. That's the definition of insanity, right? You do what you did in the past and hope that something different happens in the backside. uh, Life doesn't work that way.
0: And the next core value, uh, we've probably kind of talked about this in our response about customer service, but it's excellence, we strive to be the best we can be as an organization and in service to the game.
1: I don't think this is novel uh, by any stretch of the imagination. I don't know an organization out there that doesn't want to do what they do with excellence. But we want to articulate it. You know, what is it about? Is is it okay to be just good enough? Um, no, we don't think so. What does excellence mean? Well, excellence may be the way in which we serve our customers. It may be in the way in which we provide them with tools. It may be in the way that we uh, provide provide folks an opportunity to connect with one another. It can be excellence over the board. Um, you know, we've sure had some good results in that area with uh, with the growth not only of our Super GM group here in the United States uh, and with their tournament success around the world and in the Olympiads, but also with our our uh, women's teams that have focused on on events and we're doing things to help make them better um they've asked us to be able to do some camps together as they get ready to compete internationally and we we have funded those we down to you know our our youth programs our world youth world cadet pan-american youth in competition Uh, i think we've seen an unprecedented string of success over the last decade and and a lot of that is because We've, we've poured a lot more kids into the pool. You know, you put more kids in the pool, you find the ones that can swim really good. Um, you put a lot of kids into chess tournaments, you can find the ones that love it, and you learn to cover some kids who are very non-traditional, but but uh, but boy, they can sure play the game. And and that bodes well for our future is being excellent across the board. But it, it's beyond just excellence of playing chess. When we hold a tournament, we want everybody to walk out of that with a positive experience and we want them to have the best location that we can find with the best services with opportunities to do things um, that they might not have even contemplated they could do. So it, it's it's a very broad value. Item
0: four of six is integrity. We honor, preserve, and promote fair
1: play. Well, this is one that, uh, that certainly is under challenge, isn't it? Um we see an increase in the use of electronic device cheating. Um, you know, when, when, when we had Kasparov playing Deep Blue, the computing power of that IBM-designed computer now is on your hands in a device you can hold in your hand and put in your pocket. And, uh, and download for free. And download for free, yeah. And, and we find, you know, unfortunately... In the pressures of competition, we find people will take shortcuts. And we've seen that at the international level. You know, we had a German grandmaster caught in the middle of the game um, accessing a chess engine on a telephone. A gentleman who, in his 50s, had seen his rating increase fairly significantly over a short period of time. So, you know, there have been some suspicions about that. Um, Or when we have our ethics cases, you know, they really center on three things, almost exclusively. Um, Somebody cheating, allegations of somebody cheating in an event, usually one uh, in which the stakes are higher, prizes are higher, but not always. Sometimes just cheating in an event. Allegations that somebody has manipulated the rating system to lower their rating so that they could play in under sections at events and possibly win more money. Or, allegations that somebody has manipulated the rating system to increase their rating to attain a title to which they aren't, aren't, aren't qualified if they hadn't manipulated the system. So we, we want folks when they walk into like any other sporting event, we want folks to be able to walk in and, and believe they're on a level playing field and in actuality be on a level playing field. Um, but again, it's more than that, right? I mean, we've, talk, we've been talking about integrity just in play but it's also integrity in the way that we do business you know I, I think the fair play extends into the way that we issue contracts and the way that we document what we do and the way that we we, we, we show people all the mission that we're doing um, one thing that I made sure we did we've been posting financial statements and things like that on, online for some time and I looked around and realized we had some more in the house that weren't up there so we took every single audit report we could find, every single tax return we found in the house. We scanned them we put them up on on the website. Uh, so we've got audited financial statements go back into the mid nineties up on the website, so that people can see. We're not trying to hide anything. We want people to understand what we're doing and know how we're using the money that uh, that they provide to the organization. And they disagree with us, but we want them to know what we're doing. And uh, uh, you know, there's just there's no room in a business like this for. For backroom deals and handshake things, um, the, the organization's had some history of that, and we uh, we've worked really hard as a board um, through with Herring's presidency and through Gary Walter's presidency and through Mike Hoffbauer serving as president for a year to, to really make that a, a thing of the past and, and and have the way in which we do business be a whole lot more um, a, whole, a whole lot more open. At the same time, you know, we, we members aren't entitled to see every single little thing that we do or participate in every discussion. That's why you, you have a board to do those sorts of things. Um, but we sure want them to understand how we're going about doing it and, and, and how the results came out and how everybody
0: had an opportunity to participate. Inclusion. We believe everyone has a seat at the chess table.
1: You know, my friend Harold Winston uh, points with pride. Deserved pride at the fact that back in 1960, U.S. Chess passed a a motion through its uh, board of delegates that basically said, we believe people ought to have an opportunity to show up and play chess. And we don't care what color they are. And we don't care what what, uh, their national origin is. And we don't care what they believe. If they want to come play chess, they ought to be able to. And we ought to have events and places that they could be able to do that. Um, U.S. Chess was, you know, it had been great from the hindsight of somebody who wasn't born at the time for for U.S. Chess to be further ahead than 1960. But 1960 was ahead of a whole lot of other people uh, in in recognizing that, you know, it's just a basic, a recognition of the basic value of every human being. And um, so... So we've continued to do that. I've, I've told people multiple times, you know, one of the most diverse places you'll ever find in this country is sitting on the floor in one of our national youth events. You see kids from every race, color, creed, religion, national origin, you'll hear all kinds of different languages spoken, and they're all coming together as American kids to play chess, and that's really kind of neat. But this is broader than that, too. You know, everyone has a seat at the table, so we ought to be serving those people who, who are the elderly who could use this game to enhance their, their uh, uh, mental capacity. We don't want youth to be neglected from it just because they're in Title I schools. You know, very famously, we had a case of a kid living in a homeless shelter in, in, in New York who got involved with chess, an immigrant kid, and who got involved with chess and, and, and does phenomenally well that gets publicized and the f- gifts for that family start pouring in. And you know what this immigrant family who's been in a homeless shelter does? They set up a foundation with some of that money to help other kids. I mean, where would you find that under than in people who really understand what it's like to struggle through and, and, and to have some opportunities to be included um, uh, at, at a U.S. championship? couple of years ago and so many of our top players may not have originally been born in the United States. A number of them uh, have been, some of them are immigrants, many of them come from immigrant families. And I stood up at that meeting and I said, you know, this is the most American thing you could ever see, this championship. And some people chuckled and I said, you know, the strength of the United States has been built on people who have come here seeking excellence, seeking opportunity they couldn't find anywhere else. And what better example of it is a U.S. chess championship where you've got all sorts of different people from all sorts of different places united behind a common purpose. I truly do think these events are some of the most American things you'll ever see, in part because they've got that broad group of people that's involved with a single-minded focus on, on one thing.
0: And that brings us to our last U.S. chess core value, love of the game. We embrace chess as a historic and iconic game, and we celebrate its history, growth, and evolution in our activities and services. Yeah, you
1: know, it's it's funny. We look back and we look forward, um, and, and we've got to have a foot that's firmly rooted in the past and in the history, but we all know that things change. Um, we, we, we honor those who have been before us. We honor the greats of the game. Um over, over the last several hundred years. That's what the Hall of Fame is about. It looks back, but it also looks forward. You know, we look to, to, um, honor, not just the players who, and supporters of the game who have done so much to extend its reach, but as an organization, you know, fundamentally we are about chess. Um, we're, we're about education, but it's education through chess. We're about making a difference in, in, in bringing women together in community or bringing people of different backgrounds together in community, but it's centered around chess. And there is an appeal about the game that is something that, um, There's an appeal about the game that's something that's hard to define until you can get to the middle of it and see it. And we are the organization that gives folks an opportunity to get in the middle of the game and see it. I remember when I was a kid and I was uh, uh, involved in sports. Um, I was also I'm also a musician. I'm a vocalist, and and I had people. um, There was a tug, you know, between being involved in music and being involved in sports and I'll never forget the person who told me, he said, you know, you, you may be a football player today, but that's going to end sooner, and you're probably a musician for the rest of your life. And, you know, there's, there's a truth to that. Chess is the same way, right? It's, it's an inexpensive thing to get kids involved with, and it's something you can be involved with in some way. Even if you don't play over the board, it's a way you can still be involved in something uh, for all of your life in a way that makes a difference in it. Like I said, I'm a chess puzzle guy. That's what I do. And I don't do them real well, but I do them enthusiastically. And, uh, and occasionally I get a chance to play. Uh, occasionally I get a chance to direct. Um, I hope after my term is over I have more opportunities for both of those things. I'm curious what your source of
0: puzzles are. Are you looking at books? And if so, do you have a f- some favorite tactics books? Or are you finding
1: these online? Yes, all the above. And I don't really have a favorite book. I've got some here at the house. Um uh, my local newspaper is one that runs Shelby Lyman's column. I'm wondering what's going to happen with that now. Uh, so Sunday afternoon, the first thing I do when I pull the paper is I pull out the scene section and look for the chess puzzle. Uh, and and sit, usually sit over lunch with my wife and I'm looking at the chess puzzle to her annoyance. Um, and yeah, you have opportunities to do them online. I mean, you know, I'm not going to be ever be a winner of Puzzle Rush or something, but... But uh, I I find that they help me understand what's going on in the game a whole lot better as I look for for those. I do, you know, I'm not good enough to do mate nine puzzles, but Boish, I have I have fun with them, and I find it helps me uh, when I sit down with the kids. I'm I'm the best chess player in my Boy Scout troop, right? (laughs) But I'm not very good. I'm not very good but it's kind of fun to work with them and help them see what they're, mm-hmm. they're not doing you don't have to be a great player to teach somebody else the game you truly don't you know it, 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 you can only take them so far you know my, my son had a chess coach we paid for a while and he got to Thomas got to a point where you know this gentleman said I've gotten him as far as I can go you need to find somebody else And that's, but that's cool he got him to that point you know and uh, and all of us can do that. If you have any understanding of the game at all, we can teach somebody a basic understanding.
0: So if I've done my math right, you are term limited this coming year, correct, and have to leave the board in 2020?
1: Yes, my term will be over at the end of the delegates meeting in August of 2020. I will have served uh, nine years on the executive board. Um, you can serve three 3 year terms. The delegate changed the rules a couple of years ago, but if you served a... A one-year partial term, you could add uh, add that in as well. So uh, Mike Neatman, who started the board on the board a year before or I did, filling out an unexpired term, uh, will leave the board with me. We we'll serve together. He's been on the board for will have been on the board for ten years, and I would have had the honor to serve with him for nine of those. And uh, we'll leave the board together in August.
0: So I'd like to give you an opportunity to talk about what you hope your legacy will be. Well, we spent. A
1: whole lot of time trying to fix some things. When uh, uh, when I first got elected to the board, um, the finances of this organization were shambles. And, you know, US Chess has had a history of, of uh, waxing and waning on its financials. We get to a point where things are pretty good, and then folks, I think, take their eye off the ball, and we get into a crisis again. And we were certainly coming out of a crisis that was partially uh, partially of our own doing, and I think uh, from the actions of some prior boards, and also because of conflict among the board that resulted in litigation that was very, really, very expensive. Um, we fixed that. We restored money to the Life Member Asset Fund so that it would be um, solvent to, to help fund those activities that this organization provides to life members. We set up Money. We set up a rainy day fund. We funded scholarship promises that had been made before we got there. Um, I didn't do any of those things. I just helped. I was one of the board that that uh, you know really focused on you know trying to be excellent to our members. You know, part of the excellence is not screw up the bank account. Um, so we've 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 done some things like that. But I think more importantly, um, we. Over the last decade, uh, we as a board, not just the people who are there today, but also people like uh, Bill Glitchford, who was on the board when I first got there, and, and Ruth Herring, who I had the privilege to serve under when she was president for all four years, and Gary Walters, who, who had been her vice president um, and, and then became president, and Randy Bauer, who had been the executive officer of the organization for, for a long time. Um, those folks in, in leadership positions have just um, really kept focused on the idea that we have to grow and change and evolve. Um, anytime you change culture and anytime you push things that are a little bit beyond what some people are comfortable with, there is some uh, some resistance to that. There is an educational process that what what is that has to happen. When people really don't fear change. What people fear is losing something. And uh, so so we've walked a line, I think, between trying to help people understand they're not losing anything as we get this culture to evolve, uh, but we're doing something that the that's necessary for the long-term growth and health of the organization. And and at the same time, we're trying to preserve those things that, that those members may have held, held dear in the organization for 50 years so you know if we can accomplish the the little bit of that culture change just like changing the the course of an oil tanker you know you got a real little rudder at the back and you got to start that change way before you see it happening um i think you see the momentum that the organization is starting to build this is a result of stuff that was happening eight nine years ago and, and and we're seeing it build you know momentum is a uh success it's applied through a lot of hard work over time it's like pushing a rock you know pushing a very big rock you push pushing you're pushing you push. and finally it rolls over once and you keep pushing and you keep pushing and it builds up momentum and, and that's the momentum we're starting to see we're starting to see that rock turn over and pretty soon it develops momentum on its own so I think we've uh, I think we've got some good things going my hope is that we don't screw it up um, as as the Board is undergoing some some big changes in membership. Um, I, I hope that the the membership of the organization will will think about what the future ought to be, rather than look at the past as they select ongoing leadership and uh, and that they'll gra- they'll get the vision that we've cast here and why it makes a difference. Because if if this organization only becomes about a small group of people who play chess over the board, then I think it is doomed to never be what it could be. Um, It may last a long time that way, but I don't think it will ever be a force like it could be because really I think what we all would like to see is something where chess matters, right? And that's what we said. In the vision, chess is recognized as an essential tool. And I think, you know, I wanna see chess in the culture. It is there, but, but we need to define it and get it out more places. So, since we
0: are entering an election season uh, come this spring, what board talents do you think are needed to provide assistance in uh, program development and fundraising?
1: Wow, that's a good question. You know, in, in a 501c3 board, very typically uh, members are not elected from membership in the way that we do it, they are um, selected. And, and brought into the organization in no small part on their ability to raise funds. Um, now, that's not our culture. And so we're not going down that path, I don't think. But we've got to have board members who are going to be more involved with it. We don't have to have board members out raising money, but we, have board, we need board members who can make connections with folks. Um, and, and, and let our professional staff make that ask, but, but we've got to do it. Uh, another thing is, i'm i've been a cpa on the board for a, a long time now and um while we have some other folks who have some financial expertise a lot of our investing is being overseen by chuck Underwood, of oklahoma for example and, and chuck's very very competent in that area um we need to have someone with accounting skills you know cpas are notoriously recruited to boards to provide financial expertise um and hopefully I've been able to provide some of that to this organization over my term. But I'm a little concerned as I come off the board that we don't have somebody uh, right there who has that same sort of expertise. Um, doesn't have to be a CPA, but board sure needs to be somebody who understands how financial statements work. Uh, secondly, we, we sure have benefited when we've had a board that's had an attorney on it. Right now, we don't have one. And uh, for that attorney's... Understanding of, of contracts and understanding when we're involved with a, a disciplinary process and and their understanding of documentation requirements and everything, it's just invaluable to have a person like that in the inner circle uh, helping to provide that kind of guidance. Um, we need folks who do understand something about chess, but, but frankly, um, you don't have to be the greatest chess player in the world. I'm a living example of that most of our board members aren't, you know, elite-level players. Um, that none of them are elite-level players. Our highest-rated players are probably Chuck and Randy Bauer. But but that's less important, candidly. You know, all of us love the game. Um, and all of us are involved with the game and in, in different ways. So we got to have folks who are interested in the game, but they don't have to be masters of it. They've got to understand that uh, how a 501c3 works, you know. I don't think we ought to be electing people to the board who've never served on the board of a 501c3. Dan, you've probably heard me say it before, and and I've said it very publicly. You know, if being on the board of US Chess is the biggest thing you've ever done in your life, and that's why you want to do it, you probably shouldn't be on it. It, it, Because your focus is wrong, you know. Serving on a 501c3 board is not about focusing on you, it's about focusing on the beneficiaries of the organization, the members, the people that you can touch. And if your focus is not that way, you shouldn't be doing it. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm going to be off this board, and, if, and in a few years, nobody's going to remember me, and that's just fine. You know, I mean, it really, really is. I'm not doing it for that reason, and I don't think we want board members who are doing it because of the quote glory of being a board member. And that's just totally the wrong motivation. It's all about service. And it's all about making the organization better when you walk out than it was the day you walked in. Talk about legacy. I know when I walk out the door, the organization will be stronger than it was the day I walked in. And that's good. You know, I mean, that, that's happy. I'm good with that. And, you know, in and, and, and if it's going to continue to make a difference, it's going to be people take up that torch that we're going to toss forward and take it on the run and move forward with it. Because, you know, some of us won't be able to do that anymore. And that's what I hope we find.
0: Well, Alan, thank you so much for a candid and wide-ranging discussion. And listeners, if you want to hear more about what President Priest has to say about our organization, uh, please see the his monthly Across the Board column in every issue of Chess Life magazine, uh, either your print edition or the digital edition. And again, uh, happy holidays, President Priest, and thank you for joining us on
1: One Move at a Time. Thanks for having me, Dan. Uh, I, hope that, uh, I hope that this will help folks understand where we're going and uh, have more people climb on board with us. I think it absolutely will. Thank you and bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to One Move at a Time. Our theme music was composed by Alex King, a national master who lives in Memphis, Tennessee. U.S. Chess is a 501c3 nonprofit with an educational mission. You can find more information about us at uschess.org, where you can become a member by clicking on the join button, and you can donate to our cause by clicking on the donate button. I hope that you have learned something new about how to build chess within your community. Join us next month for another chess world personality
1: and more good ideas.